Get fired up for another episode of Real Deal No Sex Appeal. A constant barrage of eye-opening conspiracies and ad-libbed innuendo. With filthy mouths and bad attitudes. Featuring Chris. On the streets, he's known as a jackass. Also featuring Parker. Yes, there's no two ways about it. He's super white. And our special guest, Alex. No one knows what it means, but it's provocative. Entire production supervised by Bigfoot. Now, let's join the boys for their latest episode. It's been so long since we recorded, I don't even remember what to say. Greetings, ladies and germs. My name is Chris. With me, as always, is Bert and Ernie. And we watched Under Siege 2 dark territory uh i'm very happy that he says uh dark territory in the movie which is a secret place where uh the satellites can't track you which is also where my dad would like to move uh you know what alex credit to you this is in fact more this is an easier movie to talk about than under siege one because i did yeah, go it's back not and re- fucking boring as sin yeah <laughs> i, I rewatched sure. under siege one and i was like oh <laughs> there's not yeah. much going on here that first 10 minutes like there's so much going on here and then you're like oh never mind I guess we're just gonna ride this out huh oh he's cooking again okay yeah is he gonna walk into a room squint at some guy and this is gonna come back and that guy's gonna be dead we're just not gonna see him do anything alright yeah uh, who knows I don't understand the appeal for that fucking movie anyway uh, before we talk about Under Siege 2 Dark Territory Parker do we have any news this first one isn't really news, but uh, we last time we were going to record was like two weeks ago now, and I've been thinking about it ever since, which is a press release coming out saying that Tom Cruise saw a screening of The Flash and loved it, and I just <laughs> cannot stop thinking about those words put together, <laughs> like Tom Cruise going out of his way to see the movie that reboots the DCEU, maybe, question mark, who cares, like... Is he just a huge Michael Keaton fan? Like, let, let him cook, man. Let him this cook. This is the movie we need right Parker, now. Parker, he's never <laughs> seen someone run that fast before. <laughs> that is, that's, fair. that's the magic of movies. We'll be talking a lot about running tonight, I guarantee you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, luckily, the actual news that broke is, uh, boys, Harry Potter is back. Again. <laughs> now, I feel like I've said the exact words like, they should, if they were going to do it, they should have just, like, done, like, a TV thing where, like, each book was its own season. But not, like, not now. Like, <laughs> all the people who grew up with it are, like, still in their 30s. Like, why, why are we doing this again? Everyone knows these stories front to back. What? So now I'm going to watch 12 episodes of The Sorcerer's Stone? Go fuck yourself. I'm not doing oh, that. Yeah. Well, now, finally, they can show the, like, the nearly headless next birthday party. Oh, fucking finally. <laughs> yeah, like, it's a good idea, but also, like, for the 15 years, like, no, it's, we don't need this. Yeah. Those, I opened up HBO Max yesterday, and all eight of those fuckers are on the front page. Like, uh. those movies are still insanely popular. We don't... I don't need those later books to be longer, because the big issue is, yes, you get to get all the details and flesh it all out, but Deathly Hollow still fucking sucks. More episodes isn't going to change that. It's a dog shit ending. And, uh, I don't know, stretching out into like eight hours instead of two isn't going to make it any better. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to that. Fantastic Beast 4. Give it to oh. us. We oh, good. It. Yeah, yeah. That's I good. need my slop. Yeah. 
<laughs> I have completely forgotten that. Not only did we watch the third one, we did a whole ass episode on it. I could not tell oh, you yeah. a <laughs> thing in that movie. Yeah, there was like a deer that died or something like that, and Alex told me it was really important. I didn't believe him. <laughs> checks out. I'll take your word for it, because I don't fucking remember. Right, yeah, exactly. Oh, God. So much for Harry Potter. Well, thank you for bringing that back. You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, I guess we can get into our jerks of the week. Oh, fuck. I can't believe you've done this. Jerk of the week for me is myself. Uh, we went to trivia. It was a different place because our current trivia uh, just canceled for the week. And we got second place. If you get second place, you just get like a little coupon. First place gets a coupon and they get to pick the first category for next week. The first place team picked their category. And as we were walking out, Bill's like, Wow, what a great category. I wish I thought of that. It's fantastic. Gets people thinking of the wrong thing. And I was like, really? You you like that category? He's like, yeah, it was great. Balls. My favorite category. And I was like, hey, this is why I'm the jerk. I had to ruin it for him. I was like, uh, Bill, the first category is actually dolls. So... Here I am ruining his fun. He could have spent the whole week looking up ball trivia. <laughs> Same. Yeah. Well, Sounds like I know where I'm playing trivia next week because I don't have yeah. to do any outside research. Yeah. <laughs> I brought in a ringer. <laughs> ball expert. Josh just like slams open the doors. <laughs> Let me call my guy who's an expert on balls. Yeah. <laughs> Josh never fit. Whenever there's like a human body question, before any of us can even say the answer, even if it's like obvious, Josh will say out loud for everyone to hear, the balls. <laughs> oh, my sweet. <laughs> what are your jerks of the week? Uh, yeah, you go ahead. You, 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 I got you. Got it. All right. Uh, my jerk of the week is myself because I made a goddamn fool of myself in the group chat earlier, in which uh, the other Alex. Uh, reminded our good friend Chris about Renfield coming out. And then he didn't respond for like three hours. I was asleep. And then he just dropped like, oh man, I feel the COVID coming back. I might have to get intubated. And I was half asleep and I thought he was serious and I had like a near panic attack. <laughs> it was so fucking embarrassing, dude. We're going to be more careful. I'm sorry. I thought he was serious. I was sitting there like half awake watching the second half of Under Siege 2 and it just appears on my phone with zero context. <laughs> fucking what? Hey man, 7% chance I survive. Can't see Redfield. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm surprised okay, that schmuck. surprised that you were concerned instead of happy for him. <laughs> it's like, man, I hope everything turns out well. But like, I don't. I'm not gonna edit these. So he was he was concerned because like he'd be invited to the funeral and then Alex would take him to see Renfield and he'd have exactly. to see this is his dying wish he recorded so he couldn't get out of it. <laughs> the idea of him just like coughing that through intubation into like a little microphone is doing a lot for me. No, I'm I'm just fucking imagining doing... some poor dude like who's been under the knife for like hours after hours trying to recover and just hearing all right, uh, three, two, one. All right, so today's news. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm doing Morse code to, the, and it goes like this. Goes, <laughs> and it says, you have to see the Aquafina movie for me. <laughs> God, uh, that doesn't one, even narrow it down. 1937. <laughs> <laughs> He's talking about it again. 
just like constantly the pressing the medicine button. <laughs> Let me sleep, please. <laughs> Can we stop visiting? I just want rest. We have to share the one TV and we put it on Netflix as the Megan and Harry thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be sure to put that on right before you slip out of this fucking miracle. <laughs> The look frozen on my face would make it a closed casket. <laughs> you know, uh, this actually deals with loss a whole lot, so maybe this would be really comforting for you in your final moments. <laughs> I just love the idea of, like, 60 years from now, Parker going to find Chris in heaven to talk shit about the Megan and Harry thing, and Chris be like, oh yeah, I died before it started. <laughs> <laughs> there was time now, what do you mean? <laughs> We have to get back. We have to do a hundred good deeds. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You gotta give us this one. Uh, Alex, who's your jerk of the week? Uh, Chris, my jerk of the week is your dad. Where was he today? Just gonna let him take his boy like that? You know, interesting, I, I went out with, for a couple beers and pizza with him uh, before trivia. He didn't even bring it up. So Wow. Yeah, it sounds like the real news isn't even covering it. I, I mean, like, he, you must just not be allowed in on uh, what the next plan is. They must have that realized could, that's, the ranks, you know. That's a, that's a possibility, you know. He Too many cooks know in that kitchen. It. Right, exactly. <laughs> I'm wondering how he's going to... Uh, who cares? Anyway, uh, let's I talk... about a couple guesses. <laughs> I'm sure I can tell you. He has a lot of guns. All right, uh, let's talk about what we watched recently. In case anyone doesn't know when this comes out next February, I had COVID for a little over a week and it was really bad. And one of the worst parts about COVID is you get COVID brain fog, which meant I had a lot of trouble focusing on anything. Like I could barely read. Uh, Working was a real pain in the Botox. So for most of my COVID uh, sickness, I just watched episodes of, and I say watch, like I had kind of had it on the background. I just watched last listen to episodes of Norm MacDonald's video podcast which, uh, pretty good. And I really liked uh, a lot of the guests, almost all of the guests. A couple notable exceptions, which I will name soon. Uh, what I liked is there was a, a really large variety of guests uh, in terms of what their strength of humor was, the amount of experience that they had in the business, whether they were comedians at all. Uh, the worst guest on the show was actually Mike Tyson. I don't find him anywhere near as interesting as other people do, and it just wasn't a very useful interview. Um, I I think my favorite was definitely Rich Little. If you don't know who Rich Little is, that's definitely forgivable. He was like a comedian from probably the 50s or something, but the guy was hysterical. He was so talented. Now, you guys might know that Norm MacDonald was, in fact, a conservative. That's why he's a favorite on the show. But he still brought on, you know, left-wingers on his show all the time, and he also brought on some conservatives. I found it very interesting when he brought on Roseanne Barr. Roseanne Barr was notable for being one of the first people to truly get canceled. Like, her show got canceled because she said some pretty fucked up shit. And uh, on, on his podcast, she doesn't say anything necessarily political or conservative, but you do start to realize she went through some really tough times. She really had a rough childhood. She was abused. She had a very serious concussion at a young age that completely changed her personality. And I think that's something that, you know, maybe we should, you know, kind of take as like a serious thing when someone has a concussion at a young age and a, and a personality change is followed by it. So I, I don't know. I'm not saying I give her a pass for saying fucked up shit, but I, it's, it's an explanation, not like an excuse. 
The other conservative they brought on the show was Tim Allen. Tim Allen is, I guess he had like one of those, he had like a sitcom or something in his 50s or whatever where he plays, you know, the, a typical conservative. Not Archie Bunker, but like, he's the hero this time. He really is the embodiment of every day who's in, well, you can, just can't call him anything these days. Well, man, I'm going to get canceled for that. You're like, all right, Tim, no one's watching you. <laughs> Decently funny guy, but you know, whatever. Uh, I like I said, I liked it. If you if you have time, yeah, watch all of Norm McDonald's podcast. I think it's on YouTube. I'm pretty sure that's where I watch it. But the brain fog is getting to me. Uh, what else did I watch with brain fog? Um, oh, a couple episodes of MST because uh, that's that's a good comfort show when you're feeling under the weather. Uh, Parker, I've already said this to you off mic, but Time Chasers has to be a top ten episode. Good. Do it's not just fun. watch the movie segments. Watch the the host segments too, because it involves Crow using that stupid biplane to go back in time. To, <laughs> when Mike's working at a cheese factory, trying to tell him to stop doing temp jobs, which creates a, a time paradox. So instead of Mike Nelson, they have Eddie Nelson, one of the funniest one-off characters they've ever done on the show. I I loved it. Definitely go back and watch that one. Um, anything else in here that's good? Oh yeah. Okay, this is good. Uh. You guys, uh, you guys ever see Slapshot? A long time. It's ago. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah, dude, go back and rewatch Slapshot. It's amazing. Like, okay, yeah, it's a '70s movie, and a lot of the stuff they hate about '70s movies, like the general grungy look of the thing, is still very obviously present. But my God, the Hanson brothers are maybe the funniest characters in any sports movie. I, as soon as you see them, you're laughing. The scene with the the pregame brawl. Uh, before they even do the national anthem is one of the funniest things I've ever seen, including, I think my all-time favorite line, perhaps in any sports movie, if not any movie, period, is, uh, they listen to the national anthem, and the referee's telling him, it's like, I don't want any more funny, but this is no more trying, I run a clean show here, and he, and he interrupts him, yelling, I'm listening to fucking song! And <laughs> that sticks with me so strongly. There's, like, little stuff in there that's, like, he tosses his, uh, suitcase out onto the bed, and it unlatches without him pressing anything. He just kind of looks at it. Uh, a lot of Slapshot was based on real life. The Hanson brothers are more or less playing themselves. When I say the Hanson brothers, not the Um Bob guys. So, yeah, great movie. Slapshot definitely holds Actually, up. Actually, really glad you specified. Just, just want to make sure, you know. <laughs> you know, who knows who's listening. Like, I thought I saw this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I Slapshot's oh man. You know what's interesting about Slapshot is I saw something like apparently Maxim, which is a magazine, they rated like the top ten guys movies, and Slapshot took number one, which I think is fairly interesting because a woman wrote it. Uh but like other movies that were on the top ten guys movie list was The Godfather and Goodfellas. I'm like, yeah, get the fellas together. We're watching The Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now a movie that was recommended to me by our good mutual friend, I don't like saying his uh, username out loud, but that's the only way I know how to call him, Glitterstorm, uh, he recommended a movie called Gates of Heaven. Gates of Heaven is not a documentary about Heaven's Gate, the suicide cult, it's actually a documentary about pet cemeteries. Uh, this is one of the better documentaries I've seen. There's a lot of uh, people who like to dump on, you know, Hillbillies, Rednecks, Middle America stuff. They're like, oh, those those people are so misinformed. They don't know anything. They're anti-intellectual, blue-collar, whatever. These are people who really love their animals. And when their animals die, they want to bury them somewhere. And they create a pet cemetery. They have to deal with all these local bylaws and stuff. And it's 
And it, at times it's rather touching, and sometimes it's very funny. And uh, there is a question uh, in there that I guess it's the real human question of our times is uh, there was something that made my pet move, and now it's gone. What was it that made it move? And it's a, it's a line that sticks with you. There's a moment in which um, a guy plays his guitar over this deserted valley, and he just hopes that maybe someone or something can hear him and understand how he feels. And I, I really like the song that he played. <laughs> assignment don't worry this is actually a good one uh parker you you got me to watch uh, a simple plan by my close personal friend sam raimi hell yeah dude you know the, it sounds shitty to say that this is like his fourth or fifth best movie but that's pretty high praise when you look at sam raimi's filmography a simple plan is excellent you got uh who's in it bill pullman or is it bill paxton one of those guys and uh who, who's the guy with a redneck name? Billy Bob Thornton. Billy Bob Thornton. Who, uh, you see him with long hair in this. I was not ready for that. But the basic idea here is three guys uh, in the upper Midwest come across a suitcase full of a whole bunch of money. And they try to devise a simple plan to keep it. And everything goes awry here. And it's really not very funny, although you could see why comedic stuff would happen here. But it's it's more dark. It's uh it's kind of sad, and it does kind of show what greed does to you. I think I'm gonna be honest. I like this a heck of a lot more than the Treasure of the Sierra Madre, and that's considered a, an all time classic. So definitely watch a Simple Plan. I, that's a movie that's gonna stick with me for a very long time. Yeah, kind of dis- the, the, yeah. Good. Go uh, I was gonna say kind of disappointed in uh, No Bruce Campbell, but you know what are you gonna? Is it is this the uh, the first Treasure of the Sierra Madre Ray, or the the remake with Ice T and Ice Cube? That's next episode. That I did not know the there way, was another. I just rose out of my seat like I was saluting a flag. <laughs> oh my goodness! I did not know that was a thing. Uh, only two more things here because they're not really. There's not much to say about either one of them. I rewatched Paranorman while I was sick. I still think it's like his best movie. I love the stylization of the characters. The characters all look like they were designed by the same guy who was drawing like the Psychonauts characters. And I really like that. I think it's better written than everything else like has ever done. I think the music's better. 
like no one talks about the music in Paranorm, but the music's really good. I think it's scarier than it has any right to be. Like any kid watching this would be actually really frightened. It's got a very important message. Uh, it's it's well scripted, very well acted. Uh, I wasn't expecting to love Anna Kendrick in anything, let alone in this, but she's really good. I uh, highly, highly recommend Paranorman. I guess the thing I keep thinking about with Paranorman is everyone seems to gravitate towards uh, Leica Studios' more well-known movie, Coraline. And I don't dislike Coraline. Coraline's a perfectly fine movie. I, I just, I don't really see the appeal for everyone calling it, like, you know, the great uh, stop-motion uh, movie. Maybe it's because it's a Neil Gaiman thing. Maybe because it was the same director as Nightmare Before <laughs> Christmas. Jeez, man. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Alliterated. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one final one. I don't watch a lot of TV, even though I try to. So this time I really knuckled down and I watched an entire TV show, not just a TV show, an anime. Now, I've had a changeable relationship with anime in the past because a lot of anime is, let's be honest, made for perverts and pedophiles. Uh, especially like the YouTube algorithm keeps trying to recommend me shit. I'll take like one look at it being like, nope, block that recommendation. That looks fucking disgusting. Uzaki-chan wants to hang out. Gross. No, this one is called uh, Black Lagoon. And it's an action, much more action than comedy, uh, about this guy who, he's working a white-collar job, and he gets kidnapped by pirates and this side saying, oh, go, go join the pirates. It's not like that other pirate anime, uh, One Piece, which I've never seen and I don't think I could possibly. I don't think I'll live long <laughs> enough to finish. <laughs> it's not like this one that I haven't right. seen and have no frame of reference for. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to fucking do that. Just trust me on this. It's got to be different, right? It, it, actually, I think it is different because I've seen bits and pieces of like screenshots of One Piece. It looks like they actually ride boats. And they don't really do much of that in this one. This one is like a more modern setting. They don't wear straw hats. These people have guns and such. And I think uh, I had a really good time with Black Lagoon. I don't think there's a tremendous amount of depth. I do like that I finally get to hear an anime where they say fuck. And it sounds really cool when they do. The opening theme song is probably the best part of it, which usually not a good sign. But yeah, watch the opening theme song for Black Lagoon. You'll be like, oh, hey, this is great. So, yeah, it was all right. I, Parker, you'd probably have a better time with it than others. Anyway, uh, Alex, um, now, what did you watch? I'm just thinking about Beto O'Rourke watching this and pointing at the TV and, and jumping like a seal when he hears the word fuck. And uh, it's doing a whole <laughs> lot for me. Uh, all right, Parker, you want to talk about John Wick now or later? We can do it now. All right. Uh, I, I will let you have the floor first. Uh, what would you think of it? I will say right now, uh, you could have cut 20 minutes out, but also I would have sat there for five hours. So it uh, didn't bother me that the whole Berlin sequence was like super unnecessary. Didn't care. I was a little piggy in my D-Box seat. <laughs> D-Box? How'd that go? Um, there was a group of about 10 of us, and about six didn't know what D-Box meant. Yes. So when that movie opens cold with him just punching a wall <laughs> and the seat's vibrating, <sighs> and then it cuts to him on horseback... They uh they were not prepared. Couple <laughs> of those cowards lower the intensity. Absolute baby shit. Um, I will lead up to this by saying uh, I hadn't seen John Wick three since like it first came out, so I watched it on Peacock, and then it ended, and then it autoplayed John Wick two, and I was like, sure, why not? 
and then it started auto playing John Wick three again as we were leaving. <laughs> and then when I came back from the theater, John Wick three had looped back around again. So I saw Boban get murdered by a book three times that day. It was a really good day. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. And despite any complaints I might have, uh, I watched this after I watched Under Siege 1, so it's actually the best movie I've ever seen in my fucking life. <laughs> not about the movie. I just gotta say, like, it felt so freeing being in that theater. The giant screen, the flash trailer comes on, and just looking at my phone and be like, okay, I don't have to care about this. There's nothing tying me to watching this movie. And guys, it felt really good. Okay, so the movie itself. Again, like, you could easily lose 20 minutes. Like, this could be, like, a 220, maybe 230, and it would not be any worse for it. But also has, like, four or five action scenes I'm going to think about for the rest of the year. Um, I like that it didn't lean as much. Like, there's obviously stuff with the lore that 3 went way too heavy on. But, like, they would just, just introduce someone and be like, this is this person. You're like, what does that mean? And he just does something evil. You're like, oh, I got it. Okay, cool. That's all I need. Um, introduce... A lot of characters, which you could tell was for spinoffs because of the ending, but I didn't mind most of them. And, uh, man. Chris, are you going to catch this in theaters or not till later? I'm going to try. I'll see if I can. Because, boy, uh, the look on this little piggy's face when I realized that the last, like, act of the movie was just going to be the Warriors. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, I started yeah. kicking my little feeties it's, real hard. It's... All I've ever wanted. It's an injection the movie desperately needed at this point, because, like, to echo your point about the time of this movie, uh, they probably should have just added an hour and made two movies, because this is, it's just, I think it's too much for one, and while I did enjoy every second of watching it, there are moments in this, such as when he's halfway up that long staircase, and you realize he's gonna get to the top, and they're just gonna kick him down, and he's gonna do it a second time, and you're just like, ugh, I've been here for two hours and 20 minutes. Do we have to do this right now? Like, <coughs> there was a lot like, of that for me. But also, like, there's not a single scene that I'm like, well, that scene didn't work. Like, oh, I didn't like this part. Like, even the scene he <coughs> lose most, which is all the fetch question in Berlin, like, then he lose really fat Scott Adkins with fake gold teeth doing spin kicks. Yeah. And, like, I'm not, I'm not willing to lose that. I'm sorry. I have to stand for something. Exactly. Like, I don't know... I don't know what you could have got from this, which again makes me just two movies. Like, there's enough good stunt work in here to support that, and there's a, there's enough cool and diverse like places they go to to support two movies. You could have just done more with the whole fucking Japan thing. Like, that could have been a movie by itself, and I would have been super pumped to watch that movie. Oh my god! When they when a bunch of dudes <clears throat> just hang out in the kitchen walk up to the giant freezer doors, open up, and pull out swords and bow and arrows. It's... Uh, I wanted to cry. I was so happy. I, th if I have one true complaint with the movie, it's that during this scene, you see, like, the, the boss guy of that hotel go up to those two enormous fat sumo guys that were his bodyguards <laughs> and, like, give them the nod to go in the fight, and they take off. To not show me those guys in combat honestly feels like a personal betrayal of everything that this movie should believe in. <laughs> Every one of the movies wearing bulletproof suits, and he just sends two fat guys to fight off these master assassins. And it's great because normally you get the interchangeable guys in bulletproof suits, and like, you know, you kind of know how it's going to go. Like these dudes are going to get the dog shit kicked out of them. But in this movie, they mix it up because they have 
four or five really big guys in bulletproof suits. Oh, yeah. And every time, like, one comes around the corner, it's like, oh, I wonder what this guy does. I wonder what his stupid trick is. I I feel like I'm watching fucking Salty Bet when I watch this movie. Like, somebody comes on screen. It's like, I know John Wick's going to kick this guy's ass, but, like, how good of a fight's he going to put on? God. The nunchucks? Like, are you fucking... Yeah. Yeah. Like, I knew Donnie Yen was in it. I didn't realize Donnie Yen was going to be a blind swordsman, which immediately, another three stars added immediately. Correct. I, like, there's things you can probably trim down. Like, I always go back to the Berlin stuff. Like, flies all the way out there, meets the family, goes out to this quest, and then goes back. It's like, you could probably just have him go straight to the fucking Scott Atkins scene. We don't need all of this. We could trim, like, a good 10, 15 out of this. But also, like... I could use a little bit of breathing room because that Japan fight scene felt like twenty minutes, but not it, it in a is. Bad way. It, it, it 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 literally it, is. It a lot of these scenes are long, but not not in a bad way at all. Like I appreciate the breathing room, but again, like I would have I would have sat through a fourth hour. That's fine. Give me give me more of this. The fucking oh my god, the dragon's breath shotgun ammo. <laughs> When it goes top down like fucking Hotline Miami, yeah. he just goes room to room shooting flaming buckshot at people. I had forgotten about the dragon shotgun. Oh that, uh, God, dear like, that would Lord. be the best scene in any movie I saw in like a three month span, and that was like one of the four or five best action scenes in this movie. How have I never seen a guy with an incendiary shotgun in one of these movies before? Like, How did it take so long to get to this point? It's not fair. It, it actually, it almost like... I almost hate that this movie just takes all of the good ideas. Like, let some other people make a whole movie out of this one idea that you just threw in here for a 30-second gag. This is too much. Because they show that once a bunch of random goons and one of them has it, you're like, that looks pretty fucking sick. And then he just disappears for like 20 minutes. So when he just murders that dude instantly and takes the gun from him. Oh my god. I I could have cried. The one thing, and I'm glad you brought that up, is like one thing that I think this movie does absolutely flawlessly is the idea of like introducing something to the viewer, like seeing a cool guy, like with the incendiary shotgun guy, and leaving it alone for just long enough that you start to forget about it. But also when he shows up, you're like, oh yeah, that guy. They do it like 15 different times in this movie, and each time it's perfectly paced. Like, for instance, you know, he goes to the whatever that i don't even remember what the fucking place was like the museum place where there's like the weird like people doing archery and like it's like well this is like a cool room i wonder what this is and then you kind of leave for a while and go do plot stuff and then they're fighting in that room with all the empty glass cases and you realize it's just like the unfinished side of the same museum you saw earlier as the as the fight spills into it and it's like i had just like stopped thinking about that thing and then you bring it back like right at this perfect moment i I was very tickled with that stuff because people always fuck up the timing on that. Like, if you show me a Chekhov's gun and then use it five minutes later, that does nothing for me. Absolutely. You're 100% right there. <laughs> I, Chris, I want, all right, let's just pause this. Let's go get you to the theater. We'll reconvene at about six in the morning and we'll talk about this for another four hours. Okay. Because when I say it becomes the Warriors, I mean, like, with the the close-up of the DJ broadcasting John's location. Yeah. So it's just like a solid 30, 45 minutes of a DJ just getting on the radio and using coded message to say, hey, he's at this place now, and then him just having to fight off like 50 people trying to get the gigantic bounty on his head. Because you see, um, this is all building to, 
he has to have a duel to the death with um, one of the scars guards at dawn. So they just keep upping the bounty. So it's just a race to get to that place by dawn or else he forfeits his life. So every step of the way, it's like, all right, he's here. Here come 30 cards and dudes with <laughs> incendiary shotgun ammo. How about this abandoned building? Here's a dude with a also has a giant killer dog. And it's he clears a place out by the skin of his fucking teeth. Gets to another place. They get on the radio, say he's there, and then more dudes with guns show up. And each scene is somehow like completely different from the one that came before it. And it's because it, as much as I love the series, uh, watching three, two, and then four in the same day, I saw a lot of. Uh, Legs around the head, scissors take down, into remove gun, into shoot and head. It got very samey, and this one does not have that problem. I like that. They, un- they understand, too, you know, like, one of the things that's always cool about the Warriors is, you know, when another gang starts chasing them, you're like, oh, I wonder what these guys are going to have. And in a lot of movies like this, when they try to do that, it's just, like, more guys with guns, or guys with guns that, that look different. And then in this movie, you'll get, like, a car with no doors will drive by with, like, a dude swinging a morning star. And it's like, okay, oh cool. God, that's, right. that's what I, I, that's what I need. That, <laughs> it's a, like I said, it's a long movie, but if someone texted me tomorrow and said, hey, I haven't seen it yet, do you want to go? It's not even a second thought. It's an absolute... I, I, see this I actually, I'm a little bit sad that this is already out of IMAX, because I think I would have seen it in IMAX again if they left it in there. I like I don't pay for D box often because it costs a shit ton that it's oh, yeah. a really stupid gimmick. But let me tell you, I was I was walking upstairs gingerly when it was over. I got the shit beat out of me. It was magical. Five out of five would do again. I gotta remember to go for more D box massages. It it's it feels so good when you're done in that chair. <laughs> it really does. Uh yeah, I don't wanna get too much into spoilers, especially since my dear sweet friend Chris hasn't seen it, but yeah, it's a really strong recommend okay. for a franchise. When they first announced Part Four, I was like, "I mean, I really liked Three, but I don't know how many more of these I got in the tank." I'm gonna be honest with you, but uh, yeah, I would fucking love this. It's like, oh, if it's just this, like, yeah, that's that's good. If you if all of it was worth it to get shit like this, this is just it's. I feel like it's maybe five percent too much lore, which is an acceptable amount, and just every fight gimmick you want to see, everything watch again right now i'm gonna be honest with you i've thought okay, about it what else? <laughs> yeah I, i've been it's really tempting. i've been hellishly busy so i don't have a ton to get through here uh chris the uh the last day we were in colorado after you went up to bed uh just sitting on the couch somebody picks up the remote puts on purple rain so i just watched all of purple rain while you were sleeping thank uh, you i was like should i wake up chris for this no he's already seen it That's but uh but it was great because we were uh, we're sitting there watching it with my my good buddy Marshall, who loves the Last Jedi, who had never seen Purple Rain before. That's how you and, introduced uh, him to me too. <laughs> yeah, and uh, like like ha- like I don't know, maybe like an hour into the movie, he's like, "So what's the deal with this? Like, Prince just sings songs and then he rides his motorcycle around." I'm like, "Yeah, precisely. That's the whole movie. Like, that's exactly what we're here for." And he's like, "Oh, I get it now. This is good." I think he was just waiting for something to happen in this movie. And Purple Rain is not a things happen movie, you know, except for the guys doing the bird. Which uh, let me just say, I'm gonna I'm gonna learn all of the very limited steps to the bird, and I'm just gonna start doing that when I go out. Like, Thank you. <laughs> just in some fucking bar and grill somewhere doing the bird in the back of the jukebox. <laughs> <laughs> 
What a film. Absolutely, absolutely fantastic experience. Uh, watched another movie that I probably haven't seen in a dozen years. Uh, yeah, Michael Clayton's still really good, just so you guys know. Um, I really appreciate the way that in everything that Tony Gilroy touches, like, he always has characters that, like, you understand are, like, very competent, but yet you still have some question about how competent they actually are. Uh, I was thinking earlier this week about, like, why Homeland didn't work as a show, and I think the big reason was because the main character was one of those people that the narrative just tells you constantly is, like, the best in her field, but if you watch the show, you're like, well, she fucks up, like, every other episode. She can't possibly be that good. Like, it's it, it's setting a level of competence in, in a character that, like, you just, like, you don't really... That isn't earned. And, like, Tony Gilroy, everything he does, like, between Andor and this, just watching those, like, fairly close to each other, it's like, you have these characters, it's like, I believe this character is capable of a lot, but I don't believe they're capable of anything, so the whole movie feels like it has stakes, and, uh, George Clooney's fantastic in this. And I really, really appreciated everything about this movie, which I had mostly forgotten, again, it's been, like, 12 years since I've seen it, but, uh, yeah, this one is, like, worth still talking about. I'm glad this movie has, like, a similar following to like Michael Mann movies because it deserves it. I have almost watched that movie so many times, but I want to really sit down and watch it, watch it, not just have it on like under siege. That is probably the best way to handle it. It's like a hair over two hours. And uh, I'd say for an hour and 20, it's pretty slow, but uh, just trust that it's going somewhere because where it ends up makes it completely worth it. Uh do that this weekend. There you go. Um, I watched a movie that I have never seen that I, from my understanding, received some critical acclaim in the fairly recent past called Frida, which is a movie about Frida Kahlo that uh, stars Salma Hayek. Um, this is a movie that we watched because my wife really, really likes Frida Kahlo and was like, all right, cool, let's put this on. Let's let's see how this kind of goes. Uh a lot of the uh, conversations around this movie since it's come out have centered around this being a movie that became very Weinstein-fied in production. So let me just say to all of the people wondering whether I think Harvey Weinstein is a bad person, yes. Uh, moving Pretty on, brave. because there's literally nothing that else to say so about it. so brave of you to say yeah. that. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, this movie is really erratic, and I don't know how much of that has an effect on it, because there are parts of this movie that are really good and parts of this movie that are, like, fucking unwatchable. And it's kind of interesting. Like, one of the things that they do is they incorporate a lot of Frida Kahlo's paintings into the cinematography of the movie, whether it'll be, like, some sort of, like, scene transition in which characters are, like, you know, utilized as part of the painting or something. It's And it's, it's really brilliantly done. It's really impressive. Uh... I don't know fucking dick about art, so like I can't tell you like oh it's that painting or whatever. But it looks very cool, and you can kind of tell that you know you can kind of tell what you're looking at, even if you don't know what the the actual art is. Uh, but also, this is a movie that's like you have this character whose whole thing is like being this like sexually liberated feminist icon, and ninety minutes of this movie is just on again, off again with her husband while they cheat on each other. And it just, it feels like 
I'm kind of getting mixed signals about what I'm supposed to think about this character. I mean, I know, like, it's about her, and you're supposed to go into this with the notion that, you know, oh, she's the hero of this story. You're supposed to be into what she's doing. But it just, it, it kind of is all over the place. It almost feels like you're watching two different characters at times. And this is a movie where, you know, you'll have, like, these these moments that are, like, clearly borrowing from... You know, the biography. Again, this is a biography I'm very unfamiliar with. So you, you'll you'll get things that it's like, okay, okay. I, clearly I see that this is in the movie because, like, it's an important part of the biography. But it'll just jump to another one of those. And then it'll jump to another one of those. And it'll just be, like, almost like somebody reading off trivia, but in movie scene form. And it's it kind of takes you out of the narrative of, like, what's going on. Because it's like, okay, what are we doing now? Oh, now this person's here. Oh, oh now she's going to have sex with Leon Trotsky for some reason. Okay, cool. Like, it, it's... It's just, like, anecdote after anecdote, and, like, the, the central narrative structure doesn't really tie it together. I don't feel like... I don't feel like I know this character after watching a movie about her. But it also does some really cool stuff, so I see why people like this one. Uh, it's it's definitely an interesting watch. Like, I'm not sure this is a, a recommend, per se, for me, but, like, it held my attention for over two hours, sometimes for the wrong reasons, so... Do what you will with it. That I'm, I'm sure is good, but uh, I will probably never see. Let's be honest Correct. here. I, I, if you asked me two weeks ago, I would have said the same thing. I, I think Unless we just someone else puts it on, and it's like, well, I haven't seen it. Might as well. But I, I can't see myself. I, I, I mean, I, I never in a million years would have put this on for myself ever. But you know, now I've seen it, and I can have thoughts about it. Uh, one more movie that I've seen and can now have thoughts on. So this is a movie that I was curious about, not because I wanted to, like, not because I was, like, buying what the movie was selling me, but because I was so confused by all of the marketing around it. So I went and saw the Dungeons & Dragons movie tonight. Mm -hmm. Um, I have been puzzled by what the fuck this movie is for at least six months. Because this movie is, like, getting capital P pushed, and I don't know what fucking normie is going to look at this and go, yeah, I want to see that. So that was, like, in my brain, and, and you know, like, we've all seen the trailers for this. It seems like it could be the kind of movie that is, like, too dumb and, like, quippy and annoying, and it's just nothing but one-liners. And I just, I was so confused by why somebody thought, like, what if we made a Marvel movie, but in the Dungeons & Dragons world? Because, like, who the fuck is going to see that? But now that I've actually seen this, I think I see what they were going for. Because I think this movie is excellent at the things that it sets out to do. There are so many ways that this movie could have gone wrong that it does not go wrong. For instance, all of the annoying little quippy one-liners in the trailers, I now understand as a way to try to get normies in the door. Because I think if a normie sits down and watches this movie, they will enjoy it. Because it has heart, and the story works, and... It builds your investment in the characters and what's happening in a way that's really, really super effective, but also has enough like little I w- I know what that is nuggets for the people that actually know things about D&D. It, it seems like it really, as a movie, is excellent at bridging this gap. I don't know of a single person that would sit down and watch this movie and not... and, and walk out of the theater and be like, that was a waste of my time. Like, it is... At its absolute worst, very competently entertaining. And the way the characters do talk to each other, when it is, you know, the movie trying to be funny and, 
like get something out of the audience. It's done in a way it's done in the same kind of way that you would expect a bunch of guys sitting around a table playing D and D to like wisecrack at each other. And I think that like I I never in a million years could have conceptualized what a D and D movie would look like that wasn't trying to be aware of the fact that of like the pen and paper game itself. But this movie kind of pulls it off because it tells a story in like the specific pen and paper game style characters interact with each other the way they would in that hell. When you're watching a fight scene, you can almost naturally see the turn order of what's happening. Like it's so well structured in all these ways. And if you know none of that, you don't lose anything from watching the movie. Because it still looks good, and it moves well, and you spend the right amount of time in places and with characters, and you get a feel for who these characters, who might as well not even have fucking names, are. And I'm I'm really, really impressed with this, and I see why they bet on the movie. I see why it got this push that it did, because somebody somewhere, when they got the screeners for this, watched this, and went, this is going to be a fucking hit if we can get people in the theater. If that means we have to pretend it's a fucking Marvel movie for dumbasses, then that's what we're going to do. Because people will like this. And, uh, yeah, I, I think this one... I'm not saying rush to the theater to see it. I'm not saying this movie's going to change your life. But again, for all the people out there that are always complaining that there are no adventure movies anymore, like, yes, there are. Right. Just go see them. <laughs> I, I will I say that... Yeah, word of mouth has been pretty strong for this, but also... I think one of the strengths about this is there's something in theaters to see. I mean, you got this, you got John Wick. Uh, I guess the Mario Brothers movie is out now or something. Uh, there's plenty of options. That Bo is Afraid is going to be coming out soon. I'd like to see that. Uh, <clears throat> there's plenty of stuff to see out there. So this is actually one that I want to see as well. And I'm not a Dungeons and Dragons guy at all. But like, you know, this and John Wick, like maybe I'm going to just spend this week at the theater. I've been fascinated by this because I spent literally months anytime I'd walk past a poster or see a trailer in front of a movie I'm seeing wondering, what is this? Who is this for? This looks wretched. And then in the last month, like, every single person I follow whose opinion I trust is like, this fucking rules. You're going to have so much fun with it. And now I I feel like I have to see it. If If there's a good Chris Pine movie out there, I feel obligated to go see it. I'm I'm very glad I took a chance on this one. And, like, it is. It's a good Chris Pine performance. You get to see Michelle Rodriguez beat the fucking dog shit out of people. Like, there are there are yeah, things yeah, going on. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I just, everything about it, I feel like it's, it's the right length. It's paced properly. Like, I, it feels so organic. I, I know I keep saying that, but, like, as somebody that has played D&D a few times in my life and therefore understands, like, the base cursory mechanics and, like, level one of the fucking lore or whatever, like, there's enough in it that I recognize in a way that doesn't annoy me, and yet somebody that actually regularly plays D&D would probably get so much more out of this in ways that I don't even fucking understand because I don't know that world. But... At no, I don't feel like there's any point on like that frame of reference where you're going to feel left out by it. I, I just, I'm very tickled by it. <coughs> I'm very excited to watch this, which is not an opinion I had up until like two weeks ago. It was weird because like I saw the ratings too. Like I'm like, uh, uh, I mean, 
I guess maybe I'd like I don't really follow the the you know the critic ratings for most movies. So when somebody posts like, "Oh, this movie's got a ninety three percent on Rotten Tomatoes," like I don't really know what that means. I just know that it means that like nobody seems to hate it, and that honestly that probably is part of what got me to see it because like I'm just I was so curious about what the fuck this was and why people liked it. But I'm glad I did, and I hope that that like mystery around what this movie is gets a lot more people to see it because i think word of mouth could do a lot for this movie and this movie could have like really really long legs to it i had one of those where like the first person the because i follow a handful of critics who i trust or like one of them had a glowing review and i was like all right well buddy he's got some weird taste sometimes like you know and then another one and then another one it's like all right i can't keep just like justifying it apparently this movie fucking slaps and i just haven't had a chance to get to it yet but, uh, hey, give me more big-budget, fun adventure movies with Michelle Rodriguez and Chris Pine. Like, please, God, let this make money. Unlike Shazam. <laughs> a movie that uh, I didn't realize was out until my feed was filled with, hey, this movie fucking tanks. I was like, oh, <laughs> we, who would have guessed? Is that good? Also helps that it's an IMAX, so I just I'll see anything Ooh. on that screen. Literally anything. Fair. Like you gonna show me that in the IMAX theater at ten forty five on a Tuesday? Yes, literally every time. You know what? I'm jealous and I'm happy for you. That's one of the few joys of working this nightmarish work schedule. But uh, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Parker, what else did you watch? Let's see here. Well, Start at one of the oldest things I watched, which was uh. A children's film that both of you were fans of, which is, of course, the new Puss in Boots movie. Yeah. Yeah, here we go. The thing I will remember years from now is the incredible bit of the fucking Jimmy Stewart sounding person. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good bit. It's really good, dude. I will think about that forever, long after I forget, like, Oh, yeah, that movie looked, it was, kind of looked like Spider-Verse. It had a really cool style. Like, no, no. Just to create it on the shoulder. <laughs> Other than that, uh, yeah, real entertaining. It's fun to see uh, movies for babies that are like also good. Mm-hmm. As someone who, uh, you know, is in a relationship, which means you see plenty of movies for babies. Confirmed. It's, it's, good, it's good to be surprised. It's good to like actually enjoy one instead of being like, yeah, that was fine, grading on a curve. It was like actual capital G good, and we'd love to see it. You know what I don't love to see is, uh, boy, we just blitzed through the entirety of the book of Boba Fett. <laughs> that show sucks so fucking bad. You only got through one episode, right? Correct. Hey, did you like how like half the episode was flashbacks? Was it only half? It felt like more. Buddy, do I have a season for you? Because that's not just an episode one thing. That happens over and over and over and it's an annoying thing on the fucking planet and everyone tells you I know but like near the end like the Mandalorian comes in and you're like alright well I guess like a character I care about will show up and then we get there we get the fucking CGI DH Luke using a fucking AI composition of Mark Hamill's voice walking around with this little fucking Muppet for an hour and I thought I was in hell like I I don't know who this is for but I look down on them like the little piggies they are me someone with like no no leg to stand on like a little content piggy who scoops up anything that's part of any franchise 
I look down on you. If you enjoy Book of Boba Fett, you are subhuman, <laughs> and I hate you. I will fight you in front of God. The show is wretched. Well, I'm just glad it wasn't me that watched it. You're not a Star Wars fan, though. Parker is. Am I? Because, <laughs> uh... I mean, I've said before, like, she does... She has no fucking interest. Like, she... She's seen the original growing up. She saw the prequels because, like, she's a couple years younger. So, of course, she's seen the prequels. I don't think she ever finished the sequels. She really enjoyed Andor with me. And fucking CGI nightmare robot Luke is on screen. And she just keeps squinting at the TV going, Why'd they do that? (laughs) (laughs) Just absolutely cannot comprehend. Like, you couldn't just cast someone who kind of looks like Mark Hamilton 30 years ago. So instead, you just have... Literally, like, scene after scene. Because as you might remember, my good friend Alex from the end of Mandalorian Season 2, that he takes sweet little baby Yoda off the train. So we have extended training sequences of, let me reiterate, a body double with a CGI DH Mark Hamill face, and not Mark Hamill's voice, but a bunch of Mark Hamill's lines thrown into an AI that replicated what his voice sounded like, walking around with a little animatronic for... 30 minutes it felt like just wretched because you see uh back back then uh yoda trained him but now he's training do you see how it's like cyclical things they go in circles it was one way before but now it's this way now is that good do you like this show about boba fett are you liking this piggy man you know i was gonna roll around in it i've been thinking about science fiction for like the past several weeks and how I'm like I gotta read more science fiction and watch more science fiction I wanna watch more science fiction movies and shows and then I thought about Star Wars I'm like ah well you know westerns are really where it's at incorrect (laughs) Uh, the correct answer is just stop watching movies they're all bad probably correct this was a fail experiment on our part I think it's time to reel it in cause I'll watch it and be like you know what I'm going to end up watching Mandalorian Season 3 because, above all else, I am a little piggy who doesn't like to be left out. And uh, if you're going to tell me literally three episodes of this season were a fucking crossover because they had that little faith in Boba Fett, I know I could just watch a YouTube video. I know I could just read a summary. Dude. I need to bring content to this show. Uh, uh, boy. Well, let me just let you know, you don't even need to watch a little YouTube summary to know what's going on in Season 3, because I sure as fuck didn't, and literally nothing is confusing. God damn it. I I work my hands to the bone. <laughs> I toil in those fields all day, then come home to crack open a Steve Weiser and watch some content, and what do I get? flashback to another flashback of Boba Fett hanging out with the Tusken Raiders and learning their ways and fuck my face I could not care less I fucking I feel like if I had watched this when it was coming out I would have uh, been even further on my this show is not for me I don't care about this property anymore thank god I watched Andor beforehand because it would have taken you months to get me to watch I, it otherwise I know. have such a sour taste in my fucking mouth I I hate this because I was even like, you know what? Like, after this, I'll, I might just watch Obi Wan. It was like six episodes. Now I'm like, no, fuck this. I don't care. <laughs> fuck this stupid franchise. All these fucking dead characters. I don't care anymore. Just leave me alone. Uh, yeah. So uh, recommended. Next week's episode. I 
I could I could talk for a long time and <laughs> not enjoy it. Um, let's see, that's just about it. Um, we just started Yellow Jackets. We're only two episodes in, but I'm very deeply enjoying it. That is a fantastic premise. Uh, also using a bunch of flashbacks, but in a way that's not infuriating. Of uh, in the late '90s, uh, a girls, I think, high school soccer team. They go to play in a championship game, and their plane crashes, and they're, there's only a handful of survivors, and they're stuck there for like 90-something days, and things take turns as they do in these Lord of the Flies stories, and it's taking place in present day, so they're trying to regroup for the first time in many, many, many years, and you keep getting flashes back to what happened, and then you're like, oh, some, some real dark shit went down, and I'm very excited to watch this unravel. You know, Unlike Boba Fett, which is just he he learned to stop being a bounty hunter and solve things. Oh, that sounds Wait, awful. he's not even a bounty hunter anymore? Oh, no, he's buddy. good guys now. He sees oh, he doesn't just answer everything with violence. You see, we can like we can come together and peace can be achieved. And I want to fucking I just want to watch the space bounty hunter with the helmet shoot people. The fuck is? I'm sorry. We we've been off a couple weeks. We're not going to bring this energy here. I I apologize. Wretched piece of shit show from morons. Fucking. <laughs> uh, the only other thing I watched uh, that Chris also watched is Under Siege One, which uh, again, nothing to say. Fucking sucks, man. <laughs> that movie's a real bad. I tried the to only, tell you. The only thing to talk about is Gary Busey dressing up as a lady for like fifteen seconds. You're like, ah, oh, fun, and then it's not fun anymore. It's fascinating that the movie would be like an entire two stars better if literally anyone else was the main character. Yeah. They throw so much seasoning around him to try and give it the movie something. And then every time it cuts back to him, he's just staring straight ahead because, you know, he does not have a good profile shot. So just staring sta- straight ahead, squinting while everyone's like, oh my god, Casey, your cooking is the best. And also, you're the scariest Navy SEAL ever and you're the coolest. And it's just that for an hour. I I went down a dark road with Steven Seagal this week, just trying to think like, what? I don't I don't get it. I do not get how he got propelled to this because he do, never does anything physically impressive whatsoever. He has some of the worst line delivery, like oh, worse yeah. than any of the other action stars in that era. We'll get and to also, some like, never, ever, ever lets himself look vulnerable in any way, shape, or form. So he, there's never even, like, a semblance of a character arc. He just walks into a movie already the coolest, smartest, most well-respected guy. And then doesn't do anything cool for an hour and a half. And then he shoots <laughs> one and the movie's over. I don't... How are there, like, 400 of these movies? See, that's the life? thing, is with uh, old Casey Ryback, Steven Seagal himself... So many people have talked about this on so many different podcasts and comedy shows and whatever. He he is a bit of a running joke. We'll get to the running in a bit, but it is it is kind of interesting to like (laughs) to look at him and understand. For if if you listen to this and you don't really know a whole lot about Steven Seagal, which should probably impart a bit of wisdom to you, he started out being a bit of an action star. I I think just early '90s, maybe a little bit of late '80s stuff in there, and. I don't know why people like his movies. I, I think he kind of sold the image of himself being good at martial arts. And he must have done a really good job at selling it. 
because people bought into that nonsense. And now, you know, you see like a lot of his videos where he's in Russia and he's just doing the flip-flop flu method. I mean, it looks worse than fucking Neo Footwork, you know? And people are paid to fall down against him. There are literally movies where he, he does an entire action scene while sitting in a chair. And you know it's because he's too fat to stand up for that scene. Uh, one of my favorite anecdotes about him is that... Uh, at some point, I think in like 1995, like maybe, I think it was like right after this movie, he met a black person and talked to them and realized they were really cool. So he started talking black in his movies, and it doesn't work for that guy. Uh, I think one of the essential things about uh, him is that he bought into his own image. He really bought into like his stardom and everything. And uh, obviously there's allegations of sexual abuse, but uh, the main constant is every stunt guy who works with him or, or like other action stars who work with him is like, yeah, he's really self-conscious. He is, he, he thinks that he's really great, but it turns out he's not, and he will not show himself in a bad light. I don't know if you guys ever saw the movie Machete, but he's in yes. Machete. And just to spoil the end here, he kills himself with a samurai sword. He does seppuku. It's written into his contract, no one can kill him on screen. He can only take his own life. That's the way that he feels about his own image. And uh, thus you get movies like Under Siege and Under Siege. And, like, I was I was kind of shocked while I was watching Under Siege 2 that his niece was being mildly rude to him. It's like, you realize that's not in the contract. <laughs> you can't, You cannot show him in this negative light. Like, that really is like the one the thing that you had at the end, like, all this bad shit about him, how he's just, like, the least charismatic person you've ever seen, who also never does anything cool, but also no one who's ever worked with him has ever had a nice thing to say about him, ever. So, like, how does, how did any of this happen? How did we get, like, a decade of this where this dude who fucking sucks at literally every part of being in a movie is also a nightmare to work with and everyone hates? How did we get tricked? How often do these movies get rented at Blockbuster? Like, goddamn. <laughs> Uh, what, like, there's so many better movies like on the same shelf. Like they're right there. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about this movie here. So, Under Siege takes place on a boat, and this one does not take place on a boat. The movie starts. I think the cold open is a space shuttle lifting off. I was like, oh my god! If the whole thing takes place on a space shuttle that's under siege, immediately I'm watching the rest of this. You know, like yeah, I would have taken back everything I just said. Right, exactly. Uh, as it turns out, no, it takes place on a train. But we like our train movies. They are a lot of fun. I've got to get some love our train movies. movies. Yes, we do. Uh, anyway, I, I liked how the heroic music swells when you see uh, Steven Seagal looking mildly perturbed in the streets of wherever the hell this takes place. And he goes into his kitchen. He's still a cook. He loves cooking and there's one point in which he just puts something in the microwave for two minutes and says there just waiting it's done thank you this is i'm learning so much about foodstuffs anyway he has a niece in here an incredibly attractive young woman whose name no one will ever remember she uh gets on a train to who cares and i guess he's going with her to who cares I do. I, I did like that he's doing the awkward uncle thing. It's like I hear you like teddy bears, so I got you a teddy bear. May not be the one that's in style or in fashion. And I'm thinking to myself, when do they get the guns? I need to see someone get shot in the face. I 
I didn't even understand most of their relationship. I guess it was uh, her dad, who was his brother, that's how uncles work, was also in the military, but they stopped talking or something. And then he gives her a, a teddy bear or something. And then she's but like... Incredible yeah. that they mentioned that, you know, her dad was this great man, you know, who won this, like, you know, important commendation. It was like, but I mean, I won too, so I was actually yeah. still with her. <laughs> and, like, their entire fucking, like, feud's not the word I want, but all of the tension comes from... Oh, her dad died, and then he he didn't come by. It's like, yeah, yeah. And then correct. He, then she kisses him on the cheek as a sort of, all right, we're we're good again. Leave me alone. Okay. I forgot to mention my favorite part of the movie uh, by far is when he's talking to his uh, chef friend, <clears throat> and he turns around, and they do off-screen dubbed-in exposition of like. Yeah, and then my whole family just died in that plane crash last week, so I'm going to take a train instead. <laughs> and that's how you set up the entire movie. A family which was never mentioned under Siege 1. That wasn't like a huge plot point of like, oh my god, Tommy Lee Jones killed his family. Now it's between movies, he started cooking somewhere else, and then his whole family died tragically in a plane crash. I was kind of pissed off that Tommy Lee Jones didn't have an Irish accent. Like, uh, by the way, uh, written by Matt Reeves, actual real director oh who's made God. several good movies since, yeah. since Didn't he do the Batman? <laughs> he sure did. What the hell? Jeez. Alright, I, I also want to talk about the Black Porter who becomes his sidekick and has absolutely zero game whatsoever. Hey, you guys ever see Die Hard? <laughs> so did Matt Reeves. <laughs> I did like that uh, he's like, oh, I was hoping I don't have to restrain him. And she's like, okay. And she demonstrates a stupid karate move that, Parker, wishing no offense, I've never worn a gi in my life. But that doesn't work if you do something else with your arm, okay? That was... Correct. <laughs> None of that shit. Yeah, you could just... If someone, if someone were to reach for my wrist like that, I would just, like, poop, karate chop to the jugular. Right. I've got bad news about uh, Steven Skull's entire martial arts capability. Yeah, good point. <laughs> they also don't work. Yeah. So uh, he becomes his new sidekick. And also, by the way, that's Chekhov's uh, stupid karate technique, because he uses it later on in the movie to kill a woman. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so the gang, the gang of bad guys, takes over the train I just want to say, it seems like a lot of these movies have Native Americans in their gangs for some reason. <laughs> I don't know what the fucking deal is with that. But it definitely, I definitely saw at least one of them. I was thinking back to that uh, Don the Dragon Wilson movie we saw. It's like, hmm. Doesn't narrow it down. That down. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, sorry. Anyway, uh... 90s bad guy gang, it's a real, like, you gotta collect them all situation, which I appreciate. Yeah. So this movie reminded me of a different train movie that I saw that I really liked called Silver Street. You should watch it. It's very good. Gene Wilder is a writer, and he oh, takes a not train. not the not no. the Martin Lawrence one. No, no, no that's no. Blue Street. <laughs> yeah, it's close very enough. <laughs> anyway, uh, Gene Wilder is asked by uh, Jill Kleber, is like, "Oh, why'd you take the train?" He said, "I wanted to be bored," and it's, it kind of gets like a little romance going. A woman asks uh, Steven Seagal what he's doing on the train. He says he's writing his memoir, which. Uh, <laughs> 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 really reminded me of you know uh, if if there's a weird guy on a train and he told me that I would probably buy it. It's a good cover story. Yeah, <laughs> memoir. <laughs> You're not asking questions. Like, yeah. how could right, you ever? Exactly. Now, I love the bad guy in this movie. I don't remember his name, but the actor's name. But like, he's a he's one of the Law and Order guys, right? He looks like a Law and Order guy. 
I think you're right. Look, but I, I just wrote down Anthony Bourdain because I don't know what the fuck his dude is. But he looks and sounds exactly like him. He really does look a lot Someone like who him. watched a lot of his show and binged like all of his audiobooks last year. It was overwhelming. All right, let me look. Ah, I knew it. It's Eric Bogosian. And he was on... Of course. Oh, he he's part of Succession, which I've never watched. <laughs> you and should. It was, yeah, I know I should. I'll get to it in 30. Correct, yeah. I'm gonna, you guys ever hear of this? <laughs> well, well thankfully... in Oz? This is wild. Thankfully, this is the last season, so you only have 40 episodes. Oh. Well, he was also on that's Law & Order Criminal. Oh, well, I mean, for Chris, that's, that yeah, means right. You watch fucking Yu-Gi-Oh! Oh, I've been meaning to start. I didn't realize this is the last season. That yeah, is. yeah. It's eight weeks from Land of the Plane. Yeah. There's nothing I'm more passionate about than watching a show knowing it has an ending in sight. Yeah. Well, uh, he was in uh, Law and Order, and he's also in Under Siege 2, Dark Territory. I like him. I like him. He's good. He Basically, he's like that uh, scientist who invented the killer satellite, which maybe we shouldn't be uh, developing in the first place. But, uh... Coward. And now he wants uh, his technology back. I guess it's kind of like uh, Live Free or Die Hard, the same sort of plot point there. But this guy's a lot more fun. Uh, he's he's making goofy faces at the screen. He's uh, he's saying a bunch of dumb shit. And uh, I like it. It's it's a lot more fun to follow this bad guy than uh, the bad guys in fucking Under Siege 1. God, they were trying so hard in Under Siege 1. Yeah. Gary Busey murdering that captain while in complete drag. Yeah. Tommy Lee Jones doing whatever he was doing in that movie. Yeah. They tried so hard, God bless them, but there's just no fucking safe in that movie. Yeah. They're going up against Captain Charisma. Yeah, but there are some similarities in which uh, Steven Seagal is isolated on their vessel, and he has to overtake the terrorists. And in this one, he does it by teaming up with the Black Porter, and he goes into the kitchen starts, like, scooping out ingredients and put them into a bottle. And uh, the guy asks him, what are you doing? And he responds, I'm making a bomb. And uh, then he asks him, why do you need lighter fluid? And it really reminded me of the what's magma or lava, what's that? <laughs> <line."> <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, why do you I need... Just... I just enjoyed like, all right, we need to we need to give him a psychic. We really need to like have someone to like, you know, he can play off of, so he's not just squinting and walking down hallways. All right, cool. So in this scene, uh, you're gonna meet him. You're gonna hand him a gun, and then you're gonna leave. And then 20 minutes later, you're gonna be like, "Hey, you did a good job in there." And then you're gonna leave again, and then the movie's <laughs> gonna be over. Yeah. What do you think? <laughs> it's it's largely uh, that's what it. Is. By the way, I want to talk about like the shitty one-liners that they have. Here's a good one for you. This because this one stuck for me. I bet you guys remember this. A bad guy walks in on a woman who I guess is exposing her cleavage or something, and, and he's like, "What's going on here?" And she says, <laughs> "I broke my bra," and then he gets killed by Steven Seagal, who says, "Tits to die for." <laughs> what the with fuck? delivery like that? The man's a star. Exactly. It makes sense. It's it makes it's perfect in the moment. He nails the delivery. Uh, a plus. Really love to see it. Yeah, love to see him punch up these scripts. <laughs> now the action is also one of the draws here. There is a scene in which he gets thrown off the train, and uh, he 
I thought he was going to crash a truck into the train, but he just sends it flying Same over the train. <laughs> I thought that was the whole fucking point. Uh, yeah, exactly. I was watching. I was like, go, go, over. go. Oh, my God. Airball. <laughs> <laughs> I totally forgot about it. <laughs> they lead up to it so much. We see him driving from so far away that it just sails over. I was like, I, I did kind of wonder what the fuck the point of that was. <laughs> just to get close enough for his fat ass to jump on it. Yeah. Well, anyway, at some point, I looked away from my screen for a split second, and then they're on a plane for some reason. I don't know how he got up there. The black guy's up on the plane. Yeah, he's up on a plane. Sorry, Alex, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, like, I completely forgot about this and I watched this, like, a week and a half ago. Like, (laughs) so many things, like, I'm I'm sitting here quietly because it's like, oh yeah, that did happen in this stupid movie. It's so fucking forgettable. Yeah, so the femme fatale of the group, because you have to have at least one femme fatale, right? Uh, she starts attacking the black guy, and he does the secret karate technique where he just grabs her arm and very clumsily throws her off the plane. You might say to yourself, what the fuck would you bring that up? Because she ricochets off the side of the plane and it makes a very loud cartoon bonk sound effect. <laughs> like, there was definitely a point early in this movie where I'm like, this is this isn't great. This seems like something where even sitting on my couch on like a Sunday afternoon after the second commercial break, I might just bail on this. And then that dude gets kicked off the train. That dummy goes flying <laughs> over the front and then gets run over. I was like, that is pretty good. This would stay on for the whole run time. I think we could talk about the actual best part of this movie, which is the climax. Which, holy shit. You guys like special effects, right? <laughs> So basic you know, climax. People showed up to watch model trains crash into each other. <laughs> so you get two trains that crash into each other right off the bat. You have my attention, right? Now uh, they don't do what they do in Unstoppable, where they try to shoot at the trains to make them stop. They actually make these two things crash <laughs> into each other. <laughs> they make them crash into each other on a bridge. Uh, there's, and while they're doing this, Steven Seagal is hanging from, like, uh, a pole, and he's, like, swinging back and forth like a gymnast. When they crash into each other, he goes fucking flying, like, like a fucking, like a, like a troll doll was on there, and just goes, boom! <laughs> and then the dummy hits the wall really hard, he gets up and, like, brushes himself off. Uh, that reminds me of one of my other favorite, like, one-liners here. He gets shot in the arm by, like, a high-powered sniper rifle. He should be fucking bleeding out now. And the guy's like, dude, you've been shot. He's like, oh, you call this getting shot? To which I'd respond, yeah? Yes. You know, a bullet punctured your skin. That, that counts. And, uh, what else happens to the climax? Oh, uh, so fucking Eric Bogosian, uh, the bad guy, is You can't keep kinda, calling him that. You're right. I'm just going to call him Anthony Bourdain. Anthony Bourdain is stuck on the gravel next to the train tracks, clearly, like, CGI'd into that scene for reasons that escape me. And I think there's a scene in which Steven Seagal has to do his stupid jackass little run away from an explosion, and it is one of the silliest images I've ever seen. And it's not even done there, because he has to take the escape helicopter. More movies need escape helicopters. And he's That's on the ladder true. there. And the bad guy is hanging from his leg, from his leg yelling, Ryback! <laughs> <laughs> Which, after a bit, he is not in any position to do that. He should be saying, 
Ryback, help my glasses! Save me, Casey Ryback! <laughs> because the explosion is catching up with them while they're in the escape helicopter. And he climbs up there and shuts the, the door on the guy's fingers as he falls back his last words as he's engulfed in a fireball. Ryback! <laughs> and the escape helicopter survives the explosion. <coughs> Like, with not a scratch on it, everyone inside is like, "Woo, mildly hot outside. And, uh... He's the coolest guy in the world. Yeah, think. exactly. You think get, colliding with another train and then being that close to an explosion is gonna bruise him or scuff him up? This is Casey fucking right... That's, yeah. The shots <laughs> of all the people in the fucking Pentagon look at... Casey fucking Ryback's on that train? <laughs> Gets me every single time. Like that and John Matrix are really my one A one B on stupid action guy names. <laughs> I hate that it's wasted on this franchise. Yeah, it's such a good name. Isn't it's it really weird that there say. is a franchise for Under Siege? It's fucking wild. I'm surprised they haven't made a third one yet because he keeps making like dog shit movies that go straight to DVD. Maybe he doesn't have the rights. I mean, why he would Steven have Seagal the have the rights to anything that's actually worthwhile? This whole thing is making garbage. Matt Reeves, come back, make Under Siege 3, this time on a space shuttle, and, uh... And he's like, I'm postponing Batman 2 indefinitely, so I can yeah. make Under Siege 3. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we big event. I'd watch it. 100%. Uh, court, who's gonna tell him no? Yeah. <laughs> Alright, uh, what do we want to do next week? Under Siege 3. <laughs> That's all I want. Yeah. Oh, did you enjoy the credit song? What was the credit song? That was an original <laughs> ditty uh, written and performed by Steven Seagal. Oh, was it really? Oh, it I sure forgot was. he had a band. Hell yeah, dude. Uh, that sounds like garbage. God, he sucks so much. It's, uh, it's a very lean movie. Because the plot is, uh, within five minutes, they're on the train. Within ten minutes, everyone's being held captive. And then the remaining 70 minutes are him just moving through train cars and fighting goons. Which, like, that, honestly, like, I'm not looking for much more than that. Yeah. That's what I'm here for. Yeah, but that's the thing. is like 45 minutes to build up. I, I don't need to know this dude's backstory or why. He, he wants money. Yeah. That being He's said, like, there also, needs to... they kill, like, a million yeah. people off screen. <laughs> there are ungodly casualties. Yeah. Like, I don't know how, like, the civilians news. get off the train, so they're probably dead, too. I didn't fucking look it up. Like, they just show, like, a little fucking 1997, like, computer, like, blip going, bloop, and they're like, <laughs> my god. It's like, no, he dropped that on a fucking nuclear silo. <laughs> they said it's gonna, like, the fallout will go for, like, a hundred miles. Like, millions and millions of people are murdered in this movie <laughs> just for him to go, Tits to die for, huh? <laughs> <laughs> fucking rules. I'm talking to myself into it. Four yeah. stars. It's really good. I mean, I'll tell you this. It's more fun than, uh, than fucking Under Siege 1 because the action is better. The action actually, like, looks a little bit better. Even with the stupid CGI. At least it's fun to look at stupid CGI. Yeah, bro, that knife fight at the end of Under Siege 1. Oh, Jesus my God. Fucking Christ. <laughs> Compare that to this one where he makes the homemade dynamite that was strapped with a beeper that says you're fucked and throws it at yeah. <laughs> better movie also best thing Catherine Heigl's ever been in oh, <laughs> <laughs> roasted yeah I uh also the, the other draw here is like Anthony Bourdain-ish looking guy he's 
he's a lot more fun than all the people who are in Under Siege 1. And it's like, that's kind of hard to do, is be more fun than Gary Busey and Tommy Lee Jones. Does that very easily. Oh yeah, also they got Everett McGill. Everett McGill is the guy from uh, Twin Peaks. Uh, sure. He's a fucking menace in this movie. Yeah, he, he looks like he is trouble. we got a good variety of goons. We have the main bad guy who's just... Hey, Ed, this is Under Siege 2, so you know, just have fun with it. Yeah. And he does. Yeah. That's, that's all you want. Exactly. I don't need... Because that's the problem a lot of these movies make. It's like, oh, who's it going to be? Ah, this was another guy that served in the Navy SEALs with him, but he's gone bad. Like, great. <laughs> Shoot me in the fucking face. Gone I'd rather bad. fucking die. <laughs> this is an, another military guy, but not, he's, he doesn't love America like Casey Ryback. This guy wants money. Wow. Fascinating. No, just make it some fucking little wormy dude who, boy, they try and fake out that he's dead. <laughs> they just offhandedly mention, like, yeah, it's a shame he couldn't be here to see, uh, you know, his prototype on display. But, you know, they found his car in the river. It's like, no one in the history of fucking Earth has killed themselves by driving their car in a river. Yeah. <laughs> it's never once happened. Oh, weird. The government just found his car with a note inside. Like, yeah. Yeah, I've seen that one out of your playbook before, buddy. <laughs> I hate to tell you. All right. But yeah, uh, real good bad guy. Uh, Steven Skull, again, baffling that he was in more than two movies. Baffling. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, you know it comes out this week. You know, we could do an episode on the Mario Brothers movie. You're really going to make me watch that? Okay, uh, never, mind, never mind. Never yeah, mind. Take it back. Pass. All right. I don't fine. Shit. I'm sure it's fine. Yeah, I'm, yeah, exactly. I, I mean, Chris will be seeing you for us. It's okay. Oh, uh, not even a not even a challenge. You just you just will. Yeah. All right. So, uh, any, anything come to mind that we should watch? I've got to think about this in a couple of weeks. Let's go back to the old list here. That's the only thing coming out right now, right? Yeah. Well, John Wick is out. Dungeons and Dragons is out. Mario's out. I will be seeing this dumbass Matt Damon Ben Affleck Nike movie that I've heard good things about. It's real tempting. Matt Damon Nike movie? Yeah. What's it called? Oh, Air? Air, yeah. Air. Is that? I don't know if that's an episode, though. It's no. I mean, just ask what's coming out. Like, I'm not. there. I don't think that's an episode at all. Uh, Alex, how do you feel about Carlito's Way? I've actually never seen it. Hmm. Got Viggo Mortensen. Oh, it's two and a half hours. Uh, we'll, let's just let's decide later. Let's do it last second, like we usually. Yeah, do. I'm looking at the list. None of this is jumping out at me right now. You take under siege two off the list. Oh, cl- oh, cliffhanger! You say? Oh no! That's the tea, sis.